you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. If, if that's too loud in the back or whatever, just tell Jason up there and he can adjust it till we get it all ready to go here. As you know, we have been studying the book of Nehemiah. We saw in our first week how that Nehemiah is a picture how to really, for us to build a church today. And uh, those nine gates that they are setting up on the walls and they're getting ready to uh, put those gates back on as they, uh, Nehemiah surveys Jerusalem laying in, in ruin. And uh, we're reminded by that of the state of the church today. And, and these gates represent, as I've said week after week, these gates represent the uh, openings that a church has to have, the ministries the church has to have, or the functions of a church, nine of them, nine being a number of fruit bearing. We talked about that last week also. And last week we talked about the uh, sheep gate. And the sheep gate, we talked about the aspect of sacrifice, the most important thing every Christian needs to learn and the most important thing that this church needs to come to in its spiritual growth is understanding the concept of sacrifice and then being part of it. One time David, one of the greatest stories in the Bible, one time great David uh, wins a great battle. And he wants to give a sacrifice to the Lord and he goes to a guy that's got a threshing floor. In fact, this threshing floor, believe it or not, is the exact place where the temple is going to be built uh, down the line. It's a, it's a tremendous uh, analogy when you put it all together. David goes in there to a guy, I think his name was Adunder a, a or something like that. Or I forget his name. Anyway, he was. David goes in there and he says, I, I want to buy this threshing floor because I want to give a sacrifice to God. And this man says, well, David, you're the king and you want a great victory. You... You, uh, you don't have to pay for this. Just take it. It's yours. You can do whatever you want to do. David says, no. He says, I, I want to pay you for it. How much you want? He says, I want to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And he says, David, king, you don't have to do that. It's yours. You take it. And David made one of the greatest statements in the Bible that is true then. It's true today. You know what he said? He says, I can't do that because a sacrifice has to cost me something. And by making that statement, he sh showed us for time and eternity that a sacrifice is something that is over and above. This church needs to go over and above in what it does and what it gives and what it, in, 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 in all aspects of ministry. And it starts with individuals realizing that their reasonable service is the making their bodies a living sacrifice as Christ died for us on the cross. So that was the sheep gate. Now today we come to chapter uh, 3, verse 3, and he says this, but the fish gate did the sons of Hashab and I build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom and insight into all that we do today and all that we look at. We thank you for those that are here. We thank you for those that you brought back with us today, Lord, that, uh, uh, that are here today. And, Lord, we pray for those that are not here today, that for sickness or out of town, whatever the case, that you'll watch over them, take care of them, that you'll bring them back with us next week. We look forward to having Pastor Whalen here uh, to challenge our hearts, to give us some insights through the years that he's take, built a church. And, Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for all you do now. In Jesus' name, for his sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. Now, today we're going to look at the fish gate. And the fish gate is the gate that represents for us the aspect of soul winning. Jesus said in, in, in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 17, when he was calling out his disciples, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And for time and eternity, fish in the Bible has been likened to men. And us as soul winners has been likened to we're fishermen. Now, in, in, the, in the New Testament times, they caught them in nets. And uh, they didn't fish necessarily like we do with a pole and a, I mean, I guess they did, but commercial fishermen used nets. And for time and time again, Jesus made the analogy that reaching out there and getting all those fish in the net is a picture of what we ought to be doing as winning people to Christ, soul winning, soul winning, winning people to Christ. And just like this church has to learn the aspect of sacrifice, it has to learn the aspect and the proper technique for winning people to Christ. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is as a tree of life, and he that winneth souls and wise is wise. And this church can never lose its con the concept or the vision of winning people to Christ. Now, maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you've never won anybody to Christ and the thought of it terrifies you. Th that's okay. In fact, that's probably where you need to be. Everybody has to be in that position at some time in your life. You don't start out being a soul winner. 
I'd rather have you be that way and learn the process and in actuality learn how easy soul winning really is. And, and churches today, and for the last 20, 30, 40 years, ever since I've been in them, soul winning has always been the emphasis of everything that they do. Now, I'm not saying that soul winning isn't important. And I'm not saying that this church should not emphasize soul winning. But they get so focused on getting people to come to church. They get so focused on, on trying to get everybody they can that they, and soul winning is the tool that they use. Soul winning is the technique that they use that they step way outside the guidelines of the Bible and they start using uh, soul winning as, a, uh, as the only tool that they have and they start making it everything that it isn't and try to put pressure on their people to win people to Christ. I will never, never, never beat you over the head to be a soul winner because that won't work. I'll never beat you over the head to do anything. My only job as pastor of this church, first and foremost, is to love you. I love you unconditionally. I love you whether you love me or you don't, but I know you all do. I love you. I love you no matter what. I love you when you do what's right. I love you when you do what's wrong. I don't care. My job is to love you unconditionally and then to preach to you the Bible the best I can that you will take the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God will help you get where you need to be. Now, there'll be times in your life that I'll have to help you. You'll struggle with something in life that you'll say, Bob, I want to come in and, and talk to you about this, and we'll work it out, or maybe you'll want to study the Bible and learn some more things. That's fine. That's part of my job, too. But I'm never going to belittle you into doing anything for God, because that doesn't work, and I, and I don't want to do that. You will come, and you will grow naturally if you just do what's right. You don't need anybody prodding you along. Now, some of my messages you know, may get under your skin a little bit, and I may say something, but you can't blame me for that. I give this to God when we start. You have to take that up with him. I mean, that's what preaching is for, but I'm never going to get up here and say, you know what, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel if you don't win people to Christ. I'm not going to uh, put you on the spot. I've known preachers that have done all kinds of things to put people under the spot in some way or to give money or whatever the case, you know, whatever they want to manipulate their people to do. I don't want to manipulate to do anything. I want this church to be a natural process by which you can grow to be everything God wants you to be. My job is just to help you, and I know how to do that. I know how to take the Bible and teach you and, and challenge you and, and admonish you, and I'll tell you something else. You'll get more out of somebody by encouraging them and telling what a good job they're doing than you will by telling them what a rotten job they're doing. And, uh, you know, there's people in this church that have never won anybody, in this, never won anybody to Christ, and I, that's fine. I'd rather, I don't care if you've never won anybody to Christ as long as you have a desire someday to win somebody to Christ. That's all I'm looking for. And there's people here who don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't care as long as you have a desire to know about the Bible. Because I've learned over the years that uh, soul winning is not a technique. Soul winning is not a, is not a gift. I've heard churches get up where they, they say that soul winning is a gift, you know, and they, they encourage everybody to unlock that spiritual gift. Let me tell you something. Soul winning is not a gift. Soul winning is not a technique. I've heard guys say that soul winning is the way you build a church. I, I want to tell you something. Soul winning was never given to build a church. It's not given to build a church. That's not the way you build a church. But I'll tell you what soul winning is. You see, in the book of Ephesians, and Marion asked this question Thursday night. He asked about Ephesians chapter 5 and, and you know, the marriage. He's getting ready to get married. I want you to know that. He's, he's, he's going to get married. He's taking this thing seriously. And he, and he asked, we got a couple, another couple right behind is getting married, too. They're getting married, too. And, well, oh, Jason, he's taking it serious. So, but he asked a question in Ephesians. We talked about the husband and wife relationship being paralleled to the Christian and Christ relationship. And, and, and we know that, that that's the process that God chose to show us. In the book of Ephesians, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and the wife see that she reverence her husband in all things. We went down all through that. And uh, the, the, as you study it, and you see it, and you realize it, you realize that when a husband and wife get married, they're incomplete. Because we know now that in the Bible that three is the number of completion. And we know that there'll never be, a, there'll never be a, what we call a family until the baby shows up. Now, they're complete as far as, I mean, there's nothing wrong in their life. And, you know, some couples go all their lives don't have any kids. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong or sin in their life, you know, or whatever. Yeah, that may be what they choose to do. But as far as the completeness of things, through the process of intimacy in a husband and wife's relationship, 
under the lines of the Word of God, you know what happens in time? They bear fruit. Unless something is taken place to stop that, if something is, is taken place to uh, not let that pregnancy happen, through the natural process, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you decide to do. I'm just showing you here how the process goes. Through the natural process of intimacy between a husband and wife in time, they will bear fruit. Maybe not the first month, maybe not the second month, maybe not the first year, maybe not the second year. Sooner or later, through the process of the natural events that God has put in and acted in marriage, you're going to bear fruit. You know what? It comes through an intimacy. You know how that happens, soul winning happens? Soul winning is, like an, is called the new birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's somebody being born again, John chapter 3. You know how it happens? It happens when a Christian gets saved, starts doing what's right with God, starts loving God, and as he builds that intimacy with God in a spiritual sense, he produces spiritual children, winning people to Christ, just like the husband and wife in a physical sense, but it's based on your intimacy. You can't make it a program. You can't make it a gift. You can't make it a technique. You can't make it for something that is, that's how the church is built. No, the church is built by Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The church is lifted up by the preaching of the cross and the preaching of Christ. That's how you build a church. Soul winning comes as a process of intimacy between a man, a woman, and Christ Whatever their case, whatever their gender is, as they build that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they will win people to Christ. It's just a process that comes in time. I'd much rather just wait on that process. You're going to see as we study soul winning this morning, a little bit later on, you'll, you'll see how the process works. And, and my job is to help you understand. I don't ever want anybody to feel guilty here. I don't want anybody ever go out of here thinking, well, I ought to be more than I should be. Well, maybe you should, but you know what? As long as you're on the road and the path to get where God wants you to go, you'll get there. And we'll get there in God's time. It's just like our building. I want a building. I don't like cramming you all in here like a can of sardines right now. I, 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 but you know what? We've got to be patient on God. God will do it in his own time. The last thing we want to do is to get ahead of God and to get something that God doesn't want us to have or do something stupid because we're in a panic mode. Hey, you know what? All things considered, this is a pretty nice place. It'll work. You know what? We got two bathrooms. Uh, you know, we got a place to shuttle down. We don't have to walk 10 miles. You know what? It's not the most comfortable place in the world, but you know what? It'll get us by right now. You know what? One thing I learned in life over the years, wait on God. Don't get in a hurry. God will do what he wants to do in his own time. That's true of the church. That's true of where we're at right now. It's also true of your life as a Christian. Just take it one day at a time. Learn everything you can from God that day. Ask God to help you grow. Ask God to make you what he wants you to be. And it's through that natural process, God will get you where he, he wants you to go. And, you know, right now there's some natural things that we can do. And, uh, you know, you all got friends that you can, uh, that you, can uh, uh, you know, invite to come to church. You know people that aren't going anywhere. Uh, you know people that uh, are, are just you know, out there floating around someplace or people that you work with or friends or your family or whatever, you know, you start with that. Right now, we're just all, we're building a base. That's all we're doing. Right now as a church, we're young, we're only about a month old, and we're just finding out where we're at. We're finding out who can do what. We're finding out what God wants us to do right now. We're just taking our time, building a base. But there'll come a day when God will open up these gates Boy, as these gates get put into this church, you'll see it happen. I got so I understand how in time we can really impact this community to really win people to Christ and really build uh, a work for God. We ain't ready yet, but it'll come in time. Right now, we just need to work on the basics. Right now, we just need to focus on loving each other, working through some things, building some things, getting a base, finding out where we're at, and, and bringing in the natural people that are out there that are just hanging there. People that you know that you could say, why don't you come to Bible study? Why don't you, Marion was telling me the other night about a, he was reading his Bible at work and some gal asked him about it. That's how you do it. You just let God use you in a way where you, uh, you, you just let God use you. And I think the greatest story of that in the Bible, and that's where we want to go. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. 
Because the greatest example that I know of, and I could touch, you know, and, and encourage you about the putting in the soul winning gate, you know, and the sheep gate or the uh, fish gate, and talk about that. But but uh, let's go to the Bible. Let's look at the greatest example anywhere I know of in the Word of God that shows you the aspects of where we need to be in time of uh, putting up this putting up this fish gate. Getting to the place where we understand the concept of soul winning. Right now, you have friends. You have couples, maybe, if you're a young couple that aren't going anywhere or aren't happy where they're at, you can invite. You've got people you work with, people you run into, uh, people you know that are just floating out there that, that need a stable church and a stable uh, word of God in their life. Now, Acts chapter 8. Start down here at verse 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candence, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for her to worship, uh, for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and were like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet, this or himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, there came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he was come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came uh, to Caesarea. Now that is one of the first places in the Bible where you really get the complete picture from beginning to end and everything in the middle of how a man gets saved. Now I know that there's other people saved in the Bible, and I know that uh, there's examples of it all through the New Testament, but this is the only place that I know of where every event is covered that shows you everything you and I need to know about soul winning. Now, I told you that three was a number of completion, and you're going to find when it comes to soul winning, there's three aspects to it. And uh, most people don't uh, never figure this out, and they, uh, that's why they make a mess of it. First of all, there's a sowing aspect. There's times when God just wants you to put the word out. Uh, you've got to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God when it comes to soul winning. That's why I encourage you to grow in the Lord and let your soul winning come naturally and just use the natural things that God puts in your life right now. Sowing. Sowing means you just put out the word. You just put it out and God uh, takes it and uses it. Then there's a watering part of soul winning where you pray for what you put out. And then there's a reaping part of soul winning. You reap. And uh, most Christians in the world today, all they know is reaping. They try to reap, 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 and put the pressure on people to get saved. They don't understand that there's times where God just wants you to sow the Word of God. There's times that God wants you to pray for somebody, and then there's times where God wants you to reap the fruit of what you've done or maybe what somebody else has done. You have all three examples here in this chapter. That's why this chapter is so important. You know what you have here? You have three things in here you need to see. Three things in this chapter. So first of all, you have a prepared spirit. And I'm going to give them to you, then we're going to come back and talk about them. Second of all, you have a prepared sinner. And thirdly, all, thirdly, you have a prepared servant. Those three things have to be in our lives when we win somebody to Christ. Now, I'm going to show them to you clearly. Now, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see this. I want you to see that we have a prepared, uh, a prepared servant. Philip is a guy that when the Spirit of God tells him what to do, he doesn't question it. 
That's why I encourage you to grow in the Lord. That's why I encourage you to study your Bible. That's why I'm willing to spend time with you, helping you learn the Bible, whatever it takes. You know why? Because you, we have to prepare ourselves for the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to notice some things down here. First of all, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, which is that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, first thing I want you to see is this. He goes from Jerusalem and Gaza down to the desert. Now, if you would read this whole chapter be, be, before we started, you would find out there's a great revival going on in Jerusalem. Thousands of people are getting saved. There is a great revival, and Philip is part of it. Now, that's a tremendous thing, because God is pulling him out of that revival to send him all the way down to the desert for one guy. I've known preachers. I've known preachers, and they're still around today. I can tell you who they are. Some of them are in this city, and I wouldn't do it. But I know preachers that won't go to preach anywhere unless you can guarantee them a crowd of at least 5,000 people. I mean, I know preachers that say that their ministry is so valuable that they, they're not going to take the time to speak to any crowd of 100 people, 200 people, 20 people, 30 people, that their ministry is so ordained and so valuable and so important that they cannot spend their message on less than 5,000, and you have to guarantee them that that's ridiculous. Here's a revival, thousands of people, and the evangelist, the guy that is leading it as Philip, is called out and God sends him down the road to a desert place where one guy is. You know what the difference is? The difference is the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Some guy doesn't have to do that. You know what? You're in pretty sad shape if you think a revival depends on your preaching. I mean, when you're to the place where you think that you're so important and what you've got to say is so important and, and, and your ministry is so important that you can't go down to the place and preach to one guy instead of 5,000, there's something wrong. Somebody says, well, God, no, 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 here's an example. Don't give me this God stuff. Here's the example in the Bible where God pulled the head evangelist out of the meeting and sent him down to the desert for one guy. You know what that tells me? Be, be, be listening to the Holy Spirit of God. Don't get caught up. Don't read your own press releases. Don't get caught up in your own popularity. Recognize that God may pull you out and send you to one guy. And you know what I like about Philip? He didn't even question God. He didn't stop and say, well, Lord, are you sure now, you know, I'm the head guy up here and I got 10,000 people coming tonight and you know what, we're getting thousands of people saved. Uh, have you prayed about this, Lord? Are you sure you want me to go down here and leave all this great thing that's going down here? He didn't even question God. And there has to come a time in your life and my life when you learn about the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. When you learn and you understand about God's leading, when it is important to just do what God wants you to do in spite of the circumstances. Soul winning is never best based on circumstances. Never. Never. And uh, when God tells you to go, you go. And when you look down here, verse 27 says, And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia. He goes. Look at verse 29. He sees this guy sitting there in the chariot. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And you know what? Look at the next verse. And the Bible says, And Philip ran. He's following the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. He is not concerned about circumstances. He's not concerned about uh, how many people are there. He's simply concerned that the Spirit of God had a job for him to do, and he wants to do it. And that is the number one thing that we have to get in our minds in this church. God has a job for us to do. We'll probably never run a 1,000 people. We'll probably never come to the place where we'll ever uh, have the great things that most churches have today. You know what? That's fine. I don't want them. All I need is the Bible and you, and we need God, and the rest will take care of itself. But we have to come to the place where we learn to be attentive to what the Spirit of God says. The greatest commodities we have as a church today is the Word of God and the Spirit of God and God's people. You put those three together and balance them out right and do with them what God wants you to do, and there will be no stopping you in what you're going to do for the Lord. I have no doubt in my mind that God has a job for us to do. God has a job for every individual in this room. And God wants to take your life and use it. You're all in different stages. You're in various places of spiritual growth. That's fine. We'll all get to that point at some point, sooner or later. So I begin to see that we have a prepared servant. Now, the problem today is this. 
I believe that God prepares sinners. I believe right now, while we're here, and I'm going to show you the example. I believe that right now, while we're here, there's people in your life that God has prepared for you to have a part in helping them find out what God wants them to do with their life. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're lost. You know, there was a time when we could preach this message just about lost people. And soul winning is about lost people. But you know what? There's a lot of God's people out there that are lost. And I don't mean lost without Christ, not saved. I mean just lost in the concept of what God wants them to do. And those people are easy people to reach. Those are people, when you give them a taste of dangling of the Word of God and it's real, uh, they'll grab it, man, and you won't, you don't have, they, they don't cost you anything. They're just hanging out there. All you've got to do is be intended to the Spirit to recognize them. Recognize people in your life, people you work with, your friends, your acquaintances that maybe aren't going anywhere or aren't, or aren't growing, that are looking for something else. Grab them, man. Grab them. Grab them and bring them in and give them a taste of the Word of God. And then they help build that base. And in time, God's going to put people into your life that are lost. Somebody at work, somebody that you run into, some old friend shows up. And you, you know, you have a chance to tell them the story of Christ. But you know what the problem is? I'm telling you right now, as we're sitting here, God is preparing sinners. The problem is God's got more prepared sinners than he's got more prepared servants. That's the problem. Because God's people aren't focused today. God's people aren't focused on what God wants them to do. They're focused on what they want to do. And see, that's the problem. So we see here that Philip, he doesn't even question God. And he, he goes exactly where God wants him to go, down to a desert. And when God says, go join yourself to this man's chariot, he runs. That shows me he's anticipating what God wants to do. Now let's look at, for a moment here, let's look at the prepared sinner. Oh, what a study this is. Verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, and was returning sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah the prophet. Now, down here, verse 32, And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, who were like a lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from off the earth. Now, he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53 is a prophecy about Christ coming and dying on the cross. Now, there's some things I want you to notice here. The Bible says he's from Africa, Ethiopia, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And he's coming to Jerusalem to worship. You know what he's doing? He's following exactly what I told you on Thursday night Bible study. And I think we even talked about it uh, uh, one of our Sunday mornings. He's doing exactly what they were doing under Solomon. He's going to Jerusalem to worship. He's following what he knows in the Old Testament to be because he hasn't heard anything about Christ dying yet. Now here's a man that wants to do what's right. He's following the life that God gave him up to this point. He knows nothing about Christ dying on the cross. He knows nothing about Jesus. He knows nothing about the fact that the church is now into effect. He's going to Jerusalem just like his forefathers did, just like his great-grandfather did, just like thousands of people have done. He's going to Jerusalem just like his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-queen, Queen of Sheba did when she went in to see Solomon and she saw all the glory of the kingdom. They have been going there for years. But now something's changed. You know, I've often looked at this and I thought to myself, here's a guy, and if God doesn't do this to show you something, it's incredible. Here's a situation where God has the physical circumstances. He's in a desert. He's a Gentile. He's a long way from anywhere. He doesn't know anything. And he's sitting out in a desert on the bumper of a chariot reading a copy of Isaiah chapter 53. How much further could you get from anything? There are no churches around. There's no preachers around. There isn't anybody around within, I don't know how many miles, but probably quite a few miles. He's out in the desert. How much desolate could you get? And yet... That's exactly where God wanted to be, and God brought somebody to him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that circumstances do not matter. They do not matter. God put this guy in the most unlikely, the most impossible, the most 
unbelievable situation that if you and I were going to orchestrate somebody getting saved, we'd have them walk in, you know, get hit by lightning, you know, and walk into a church someplace or somebody pass a track out to them or somebody knock on the door. God put this guy in the most obtruse, unbelievable, distant place, separated from everything and everybody to show you and I that circumstances don't matter. When the Spirit of God is involved, God will get somebody to that person. God has a prepared spirit. God has a prepared sinner, sinner, and God has prepared servants. And it shows me that God will get the, get, get the message to the guy. I don't care where he is. And that tells me that God is busy right now while we're sitting here, taking the word of God and growing in the Lord, and then we go home and we go to work tomorrow, and then we think about the Lord and we continue to grow in our own personal studies. While we're doing all that in your life, God is preparing somebody right now for you to have an influence. No man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. Somebody is always watching your life. And God is working on it right now. Don't look at the circumstances and say, well, it's impossible. How many times I've heard somebody say, well, you know, and we look at the desert here, and we think of it in the physical sense. How many times I've heard somebody say, well, you don't understand my father. You don't understand my uncle. You don't understand my grandmother. You don't understand my mother. They are so far that we'll never reach them. You know what that's saying? That's limiting God and limiting the circumstances. All that you're telling me is they are in a spiritual desert, just as like this guy was in a physical desert. And God can reach them both. God can reach them both. But God not only has to have prepared sinners, he has to have prepared servants. And what our job is, is to prepare ourselves to be the servant of God that when the Spirit calls us, we can run. We can run. We can run. Wow, what a story. I've often wondered this thing. I've often wondered. I wondered, I, I wonder who gave this guy Isaiah, chapter 53. You'll never know until we get home to the judgment seat of Christ. But what a beautiful thing that is. You know what that shows me? That shows me the three aspects. Somebody watered, or excuse me, somebody sowed. Somebody sowed. I don't know how he got it. Maybe it was at a 7-Eleven where he pulled in to get gas in the chariot and feed the horses. I don't know. It happens. I mean, maybe he stopped to get something to eat. Maybe out there, you know, he's back there in, in Ethiopia someplace, and he found a, a copy of, of the Old Testament. He's sitting down this thing, and he's, 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 he's flipping through it. I know it's specific. I know that God led him to Isaiah 53 because God getting ready to tell him the story about a wonderful Savior that came and died for him. And where else could go? Oh, where else could you go? The better than Isaiah 53. We're talking about he was like a lamb led before the slaughters, dumb opened on his mouth. Talked about him taking the iniquity of us all. What an incredible passage. Somebody, somebody sowed. Somebody. Now, Philip's going to reap, but somebody sowed. And I promise you, Whoever sowed was also watering. And I promise you they've been praying for this guy. Maybe he didn't know his name. Maybe just praying for that old, Lord, pray for that old black Ethiopian eunuch we met down there at the 7-Eleven, you know, when I gave that gospel track to. I don't know his name, but you know who he is, Lord. I pray for him. I pray for him. God bless him. Use him. Lord, he, uh, he's a servant of servants, Lord, but that's what you're looking for, a servant of servants. So, Lord, use him. And I'm sure the guy that, that sowed was watering. And boy, here he is driving down through there on his way to Jerusalem, and they pull up there in the desert, and they're, I don't know what they're doing, man. Maybe they're changing the tires. Maybe they're putting some water in the radiator. Maybe, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're packing over here. I don't know what they're doing, but I know what he's doing. He's got a few minutes, so he sits down in the back of that thing, and he opens up that thing, and he's reading Isaiah 53. And you know what he's saying to himself? He's saying, I wonder what this means. You see, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He can't figure it out. God prepared him to a point. But then God has to bring in a prepared servant to the prepared sinner that the prepared spirit has gotten ready. And he's sitting there, and he's reading this thing. God sees the whole panoramic view. Wow, what a thing. What a God we serve, man. I mean, he's up there in heaven. He sees Philip over here preaching in a great meeting, and Philip goes back after the meeting that night, and he's all fired up and ready to go, and he's saying, man, this is great. Tomorrow morning I'm going to preach to another 10,000, and we're going to get more Lord. He's thanking God for the revival down here, and God's seeing that revival and seeing them all out saved and all those thousands of people coming to Christ and finding them the gospel and all that. But yet in all that busyness, God has his eye on an Ethiopian eunuch over in the desert. Wow, what a God. 
He didn't miss nothing. He didn't miss a trick. And you know what? In all the busyness world, he sees every individual out there, and that one guy in the desert was just as important to God to that 10,000 down there in Jerusalem. And you better learn that. You better learn that. And God took the head evangelist out and took him right down there, and there he was, and he's sitting on the backside, and he's looking at this thing, and God had a prepared spirit. God had a prepared sinner, and God had a prepared servant. Let's look what he says down here. And the place, verse 32, and, he, and the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened out his mouth. When Philip runs over here in verse 30, uh, he hears him reading it. He hears him reading it. And he asks the classic statement, Hey, you understand what you're reading? And the guy answers with a classic statement. How can I? Except some man should guide me. There's our job right there. There's the job. Mark that. Put a circle around that. Mark that in red, yellow, black, and blue, yak and white, when they're all precious to his side. Mark it in something. That's a great concept right there. How can I? How can I? How, don't, I'm going to burn it into your brain this morning. How can I? How can I? How can I accept some man guide me? That's our job. My job is to guide you. Your job as, as a father and son to your children is to guide them. Your job as a Christian to lost people is to guide them. He asked the question, you understand what you're reading? He heard him reading it. I mean, the guy's reading it out loud. That's incredible. He said, hey, you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I accept some man should guide me? And then he desires Philip to come up and sit with him. Whew, talk about the Lord setting things up. Ever been in a situation like that? Well, I have been in my life. I, I've, I've been into them. I, I, I could tell you stories, man. I mean, I know you all have to a certain degree if you've been around saved for a while. But wow, there ain't no greater thing in life than to see God use you like that. I mean, I, God does some phenomenal things. I, I was flying to, years ago, I was flying to someplace up in Massachusetts or someplace up there to preach, and it was on a Wednesday afternoon. I had to preach that Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, traveling through the airlines, you know it always goes the way it always goes. And I got to someplace, and my flight was canceled to where I was supposed to go. And I was supposed to be up there to preach. And, uh, and every other, all kinds of people were trying to get trying to get where they want to go. Everybody was hot. Everybody was mad, you know. And I learned one thing in life. It does not do you any good to get mad at the airlines. It doesn't. You can, you can cuss the clerk out all day long and the ticket to the pile, whatever the case may be. You know what? It ain't going to help you at all. They're not going to say, okay, that fixed the problem. Get on the plane. It ain't going to happen. You just make them mad, and whatever slack they may have wanted to cut you, they're not going to cut you now because you didn't deal with them right. Everybody was up there beating on the thing, you know, and, and uh, they... Uh, they, uh, they, were just, they were just mad. And, I, and I, I told the Lord. I said, Lord, you know what? You called me. You wanted me to go up here. I didn't orchestrate this. The plane's broke. They say they're going to try to get some of us on other places. You know i got to be there by 5 o'clock. I don't know. What can I do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get me a hot dog without sauerkraut on it because I'm really hungry. <laughs> it ain't my job. It's not my job. There was guys down there yelling and screaming, beating on the thing, and I, I went down there and got me a big old hot dog. It was a red block was what it was. With, and then, you know, a sauerkraut on it, you know, a little ketchup, a little mustard. You know, in fact, I had two of them. I'll confess it to you. you know, got me a Coke, come back up there. I sat down there, ate my hot dogs. They were really good, you know, for our airport food. They were really good. It cost me $30, but it was good. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm sitting down there, and I ate my hot dog, and, she, and the lady up there at the thing, she says, uh, we've got... Uh, we got another plane. She says, we're not going to get all of you on it. She says, uh, uh, it's already got some people on it, but she says, we're going to get, uh, uh, we're going to get uh, like half of you on this one. She says, now the next plane is, is not going not to go till, uh, uh, is not going to go till, uh, till later on tonight. She says, so you're just going to have to, you know, I'm sorry, da, 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 da. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm either going to get on this one or I ain't going to go. It doesn't do me good to go tonight at 9 o'clock. I mean, I'll just, well, I'll just get there in time to eat. I mean, I won't, you know, I won't get a chance to preach. So I, you know, just sat down there, and they're figuring all things out up there, and and uh, uh, they got the everybody on the plane up there, and didn't didn't call my name, and uh, the, the plane was calling people up, and this lady went on, and she said she was the last one called, and she said, she said, uh, well, I have my daughter here. She says my daughter needs to go. I can't leave my daughter. She said, well, we don't have any room. She says for your daughter, 
Um, so I, I don't, she said, well, then I'll just take the 9 o'clock plane. So boom. So the lady was up there, figured out that thing in there. I just finished my hot dog, just had my Coke. She get up on the microphone. She says, uh, uh, is there a Mr. Alexander here? We, we have a, we'll put you in this lady's place. And I just got up, walked in that thing, said, thank you, Lord. Got there, preached, did my thing. You know why? Because God had a plan. When a dummy going to get it upset? No, and I don't want to give you paint the picture that old stable Bob loves the Lord never gets upset. Oh no, I can get upset like anybody else. But uh, but I choose what I get upset about. I can I mean, I've learned over the years there's some things I can't get upset about. You just got to say, Lord, this is yours. But I learned this: when God puts something in motion for you to do, it's God's job to get you there. It is. It's God's job to get you there. All I have to do is just be willing and ready to go, like Philip, and, and God will take care of it. And I've often wondered who gave this guy the copy of Isaiah. He's sitting down there reading that thing, can't figure it out. And, and Philip said, you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? He said, some man should guide me. And there is the great secret. God uses men to guide other men to understand about God. Then he goes up. He reads down through there. And then look what happens. And the eunuch answered, verse 34, uh, Philip, and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet, of this, of himself, or some other man? He has no idea what's going on. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, that, that, that verse says a lot of things. First of all, it says this. It said, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. He didn't have some gigantic soul-winning plan that he had tucked away inside of his Bible that he did. You know what he did? He just took where the guy was at and started right there. And the Bible says he preached unto him Jesus. Now that is the greatest verse in the Bible that defines preaching for you and for me. Preaching is nothing more. I mean, he didn't run out and get a pulpit and get a soapbox and get it all there. No, he just started the scripture and preached. Preaching is nothing more than telling somebody else what God has done for you and what God has done. He preached unto him Jesus. He preached unto him Jesus. And as he went on their way, there came, now he's, he's talking about, they're, they're, he's, they're driving now. Philip not only has got the opportunity to preach to him, he's getting a free ride someplace. And when they went on their way, they came under certain water, and the eunuch said, see here is water, what does him to be baptized? Now, at this point, I learned what Philip has said to him without even seeing it. I know now Philip has talked about the fact that Christ has came and died on the cross. He shed his blood. He's probably explained the difference between the Old Testament going to Jerusalem and now you don't go anymore. And he's laid this whole thing out. And he's also talked about once you get saved, you need to be baptized. Because this guy starts saying, okay, they're driving along and just happened to be along the road to be a big body of water. Oh, my, 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 where'd that come from? And he says, okay, you've been talking about baptism. Here's baptism. I want to do what's right. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And, and at the same time, this statement that he answers him defines baptism. Because we've got places where you can go that say that babies need to be baptized. I mean, uh, he says this, qualification for being baptized. He says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, qualification, definition. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Somebody said, would you baptize babies in your church? No. Why don't you? Because they can't believe with all of their heart. That's the qualification. When a man or a woman can believe what I've just said with all of their heart and they believe it, then we baptize them. That's the bottom line. And it doesn't stop there. And he said, uh, with all my heart thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's a statement. He got saved someplace in the process here. He's now a believer. That's a statement that... I know we use it very lightly because everybody would say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but that statement right there in a biblical sense is much different than in a United States of America sense where we just say, well, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. That means I have trusted Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. And that's what it means. For in the New Testament, if you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, you believe that he was God. That's why the scribes and Pharisees got so upset when Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, because they said, because he was claiming to be God. But you got to, you know, the definitions of things then are different than the world we live in today. That's why you got to go with the Bible definitions. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. Now, not only does he give you the definition of baptism, he even shows you the mode of baptism. And they, and they 
and they went down both, look at this thing, into the water. Wasn't sprinkling. Well, I mean, you know they're in the desert. They got canteens. If it was sprinkling, he'd have just got some water out of the canteen and hit him in the face with it. No, no, they had to have a body of water, and they both go down into the water. And just in case you missed it, both Philip and the eunuch, and they baptized him. And in case you missed it, slowly in the class, and when they were come up out of the water, see that thing? They're in the water. They're up to their necks. And then he puts him under the water and brings him back up. He not only shows you the mode of baptism, he, show, and he shows you the definition of baptism. He gives you the mode of baptism. Everything is here. You don't need anything else. This is the greatest chapter in the Bible on, on setting up the setting up the fish gate. Shows you what soul winning is. Shows you how God sees it. You see, you got a prepared spirit. Prepared spirit. Bible says, the Bible says over there in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that God is not willing that any should perish. The spirit is always ready. Always ready. It's always prepared. Bible says he's the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's never a time in this world. We don't have to worry about the spirit being prepared, but it is. He said, I'm not coming in this world to judge the world, but that the world by me might be saved. The Spirit was prepared to save. We ain't worrying about the Spirit. It's always prepared. I ain't really worried about the sinners, because they really don't have a choice in it. A good old sinner out there, God prepare him. God's Spirit prepare him. He don't have a choice in it. He ain't, he ain't as smart as a Christian. He ain't learned how to duck God yet. Your good old-fashioned, just variety, garden variety sinner doesn't have a chance. The Spirit of God will work on him, work on her, get them ready. Now, they may not do what's right, but they may turn their back on it, but they ain't got to say it. That Spirit of God just nails them and gets them ready, puts things in their life, things go wrong in their life, keeps pushing them, shoving them, bringing them to the point where they're sitting there saying, okay, if there's a God out there, what do you want me to do? And about that time, here comes a Philip that Philip has the right line to say. In this case, it was, hey, you understand what you're reading? In your case, it may be, hey, what are you doing today? How's you going? I haven't seen you here before. What's your name? What's up? Guy said, what's up? You say, heaven. What's new? Jerusalem. How about lying, man? I'm lying. I mean, you, you just, it, it, the Spirit of God will put those things into your life, put the people into your life, and then you have to be prepared enough to recognize it and then let God take you from there. Now, you just, you just talk to him. You don't have to have a three-point outline and a poem. He didn't. He just took what the man had and started right at that scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I always look at where the person's at and what they have right there and what they're dealing with. That's where I go. Maybe sometimes they don't have anything and you have to get creative, but most of the time you don't. I mean, if a guy comes to me and he's got a drinking problem, I'm not going to talk to him about the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ to get him saved. If a guy's coming to me and he's got a marital problem, I'm not going to tell him that the Antichrist has warts on his nose and he's got 13, 18 types in the Old Testament. I'm going to take him right where he's at. You see what I'm saying? Be sensitive to where the person's at, and whatever they're bringing in their hand is what you normally use. If he says, man, I'm really having a tough time figuring out the Bible, then that's where you start. Well, I'll help you. I mean, I'm not going to get on him and just say, well, you know, the ten toes of Daniel's image, you know, you know, you know, the ten column market over there. I mean, no. You go with what you're sensitive to where God has put the guy, and you start right there, and then you go from there. Follow the Holy Spirit of God's leading. Prepared spirit, always prepared. And God has a prepared sinner. Right now out there, as we're talking right here, I promise you, there's Ethiopian eunuchs out there. That somebody has given them something, and somebody is, they're reading it, that God has been dealing with them, and they're, they're ready in your life that you're to be aware of, to bring into our fold. And maybe you say, maybe you say, well, Bob, I can't win them to Christ. Then bring them here, we'll win them to Christ. I don't care. Don't say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this 20 years from now. No, no. What you, the, the intent, the attitude, wanting to see people plugged into the Word of God, that is the key. The mode, the method is immaterial. You can't do it, you bring them here, I'll do it, or somebody else will do it. That's what it's all about. We all cover the bases till the person gets up and stands on their own two feet and then does something for the Lord. That's where it's at. Prepared servant. Prepared spirit. And prepared sinner. And I'm telling you, You'll never be complete as a Christian. 
You'll never be complete as a Christian in your life till the baby shows up. Now, that doesn't mean you have to win them directly. You may invite somebody to come to church and they get saved. Bang. If, if, if uh, somebody else here wins them to Christ, if Jeff takes them in the room or John takes them in the room or Phil takes them in the room or Chris takes them in the room or John takes them in the room, somebody wins them to Christ, that's immaterial. They get credit for it, but you know what? Your attitude of heart's one that got them here. Bang, you just won somebody. There. The baby just showed up. Suppose that. You bring somebody in here, you know, I've seen people come into churches, you know, they start and they come and they, they're saved, they think they're saved, and they go along and everything, and something in the process of time, they get to the, come to the conclusion, you know, I don't think I've ever really been saved. Bang, baby shows up. But it has to start with a prepared spirit. Don't have to worry about him. Prepared sinner. I don't really worry about him. He's out there. Well, the problem is, is prepared servant. That's where the problem is. And that's why this church, through the natural process of just spending time together in the Word of God. Right now, we have two openings in this church to bring people in, Sunday morning and Thursday night. That's all we got. We'll have more down the line, but you know what? I ain't jumping the gun on this thing. We're taking it one step at a time. We will cover the bases that we can cover with what we got, and as God leads us, we'll open up the other gates. We've only been in this thing for a month. We're taking our time. But those two are enough. Because those introduce people to the Word of God to the place where God can do something in their, in their lives. So I challenge you and I encourage you to let God be God in your life. You'll never hear me from the pulpit or privately or publicly ever get on anybody about what you do and what you don't do. That ain't my job. Every man rises and falls before his master. I'll get up here and tell you what the Word of God says. I'll show you the alternatives. I'll show you what the Bible says. You have to make up your mind what you're going to do. Your life and my life is filled with choices. You make the right choice, good. You make the wrong choice, bad. I can't make those choices for you. My job as your pastor is to love you unconditionally, whether you make the right choice or the wrong choice, and to always help you and show you what God wants a man to do in his life, and then you go from there. That's all. That's all. Soul winning. It's not something that's going to build this church. It's something that happens naturally through your intimacy with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, male or female. Don't ever forget that. Prepared sinner, prepared spirit, prepared servant. And the greatest example in any place in the Bible is Acts chapter 8. Let's pray. Father.